Radio 570 KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Get ready to raise a toast with Seattle's most spirited hour of talk. Happy Hour Radio, sponsored by Mary Hill Winery. Explore the best in Washington wines, beer, spirits, food, and more with your guide, Seattle sommelier, Christopher Chan. It's Happy Hour Radio, right now on Talk Radio 570 KVI. Well, 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 welcome back to Happy Hour Radio. So glad to be back in 2015, live and loud and proud in the 206. Welcome to Happy Hour Radio. I'm your host, Christopher Chan, advanced sommelier, your master mixologist, commodore of cocktails, and a weekend wine guy right here on 570 KVI. So welcome back. It's uh, it's January, and uh, pleased to have uh, some great guests in studio. Mr. Dustin Harstead, the uh, bar manager extraordinaire, bartender mixologist over at Cannon in Seattle. And uh, we're going to chat about uh, that. Well, one of the top 10 bars in the world, and right in our backyard, it's Cannon, and uh, mix, up, mix up some cocktails, talk about the cocktail industry, and uh, learn about uh, what's happening with Blind Tiger Cocktail Company. Uh, also coming up on the show, I've got Penny Richards, the Executive Director of the Institute of Masters of Wine. I was just down in San Francisco doing a little research, uh, tasting some great Bordeaux wines, and meeting with the uh, brain trust behind the Institute. Institute of Masters of Wine. And coming up later on the show, I've got uh, Craig Luthold, the co-owner of Mary Hill Winery, for our uh, featured reality radio segment called A Day in the Life of Mary Hill Winery. And that's coming up later in the show. Um, but welcome back to Happy Hour Radio 2015. If you've made some resolutions for the year, you've got a chance to uh, get an edumacation on some cocktails and some wine and some food. And uh, if you still got those resolutions about losing a few pounds, uh, <laughs> good luck. Um, get out there and uh, some great events coming up here on Horizon. I've got the Taste of Walla Walla. February 9th, we've got Walla Walla, all those great wineries coming to town. And uh, check it out at wallawallawinealliance.com. It's February 9th. You can go down and taste some great wine. Uh, I've got the Space Needle Wine Academy that's coming up in March. Uh, our friend Jeffrey Dorgan, the sommelier and the director of wine up there at Space Needle, is hosting some wine classes. That's uh, spaceneedle.com backslash wine academy. And uh, on the horizon in February, February, uh, the Seattle Wine and Food Experience, uh, the annual uh, blowout tradition of uh, tasting all the great products, wine, spirits, beers, and of course, great food down at the, the Seattle Center. But right now, it's my pleasure to welcome back uh, Cool Cat, uh, Mr. Dustin Harstead of Cannon. Welcome to Happy Hour. Thanks for having me, Chris. Hey, so congratulations. Uh, Seattle is proud of many things, of course, but uh, certainly proud to be on the map globally uh, with Cannon of Seattle. Cannon was, uh, well, bestowed a great honor. And tell me all about that. Basically, there's an academy of industry professionals based out of London. They nominate and then award the top 50 bars in the world. Um, I think it's been going on for a good like six or seven years now. Um, Canon only being open for just over three years uh, made its entry at number six. So we're we're proud and honored, and it's 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 quite a 
quite an award. So our Canon of Seattle, the the bar, the um, gastro pub or bar, what do you call Canon? It's they we call it a a, a whiskey and bitters emporium. <laughs> An emporium, mm-hmm. I like that. Um, number six in the world. Well, let's just say number six in the universe. But did they just say world? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Number six in the world. That's so cool. Well, uh, I know you make some fantastic cocktails, but uh, you make your own bitters up there and own um, aged cocktails. Tell me all about what you do at Cannon. Basically, I mean, we we specialize in in craft cocktails, but our primary focus is on distillates, uh, primarily whiskey. Uh, we we boast uh, just over 4,000 bottles now in our collection. It's the largest spirit collection in the, the Western Hemisphere, and we have the world's largest selection of rare spirits and American whiskey in general. Wow. Do you do, you do some direct importing to uh, fortify that selection? Honestly, the boss man, Jamie Boudreau, it's, it's his brainchild. How he acquires those bottles, <laughs> I don't know. He's got some mules down in Mexico or something, right? <laughs> <laughs> something Coming like over. that. Wow, 4,000 spirits. And uh, is it mostly brown? I mean, what, what percentage is uh, non-brown? You know, I mean, like, primarily it's whiskey. It's whiskey yeah. all day. Scotch, rye, bourbon, um, but, I mean, we carry everything, really. I mean, if you're looking for anything booze, chances are we got it. Ah, so fun. Well, number six in the world, Canon of Seattle. And the address is where? That is 923 12th Avenue. 12th Avenue, up where that's all happening now in Capitol Hill. That's, oh, that yeah. is the capital of uh, the party place here in the 206. Oh, yeah. Very cool. And you've been to, uh, um, well, you've been at Canon for how many years now? Um, quickly approaching two years out of the three. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um he uh, recruited a, a top talent here, and so glad to have you back in studio. You started a, a cocktail website. Um, tell me about Blind Tiger Cocktail Company again. So basically, we're an all-encompassing consulting firm. Uh, we do everything from cocktail program development, educational seminars, staff trainings, private events, you name it. Um, started in California um, almost five years ago now, and uh, moved it back up home here to Seattle. Um, Taking on a lot of projects right now. Uh, one of the more exciting things we're doing is I'll be going to the Caribbean next month uh, to work for a couple weeks. I'll be doing educational seminars on spirits, cocktails, and um, some chef pairings on board the ship as well. Uh, on a cruise. Those are really fun. And for a couple weeks, huh? Yeah. Yeah, we'll be bouncing around from, uh, let's see, the Cayman Islands, Jamaica, Haiti, uh, Cozumel, Mexico, and just a couple other spots. Is that one just big cruise, or is yeah. it... So was it? It's really two, three weeks. Uh, it's going to be for a week, and then I hope to smuggle myself into Havana for a little, uh, little rum vacation. Oh, so cool! Yeah, Havana. Well, I'm glad that uh, you know Obama opened that door so we could uh, celebrate Cohibas and Havana rum, and uh, well, just some some good food too, right? Oh, yeah, Paseo is a big hit. In- mm-hmm. <laughs> Pork, cigars, rum. I mean, you can't go wrong. <laughs> so fun. Speaking with Dustin Harstead, the um, bartender, mixologist extraordinaire over at Cannon and owner. Uh, founder or co-founder of Blind Tiger Cocktail founder, Company? Yep. The founder. I love that. You are the man, the pillar behind uh, great cocktail consulting, uh, menu development uh, events, and education um, in the world of cocktails. So um, tell me about the cocktail scene these days. What's new and exciting in 2015? What do you see some trends, etc.? Honestly, I see things kind of going back towards... Uh, much more simplistic approach to cocktails. I think that the day and age of nine plus ingredient cocktails is hopefully coming to an end outside, of, at least outside of the whole tiki realm. I mean, you still gotta love that, but um, but I don't know. I mean, I especially at Canon, I love introducing people to newer distillates, new styles of spirits, and 
we have a very unique opportunity to do that. Um, I'll tell you right now, talking with a lot of my other colleagues in the industry, everyone's just geeking out on Calvados these days. Uh, well, I was playing with Calvados a couple of years ago in, in the uh, confines of those private club, the Rainier Club, where I was working. And I love it. I love the flavor. I love the balance. I love the complexity and the smoothness and uh, uh, just the, the opportunity... I mean, the flavor is similar to, to bourbon and whiskey because you get that sweetness sense of um, fruit or, or vanilla, but it's not. Mm. It's apple, which I think uh, is very flexible and um, delicious. So Calvados is hot and coming, but it's interesting. I was just watching some Netflix the other day, and I, I turned on a, a show of Portlandia, and I said, went through the episodes, and they had mixologists. <laughs> and you're right. It was it was crazy. They had Adam Sandberg being a guest mixologist, and he was talking all, he was making this crazy, crazy, crazy cocktail. And I can see it. I, I, I figured it was coming soon where we would get back to simplicity, because it, ultimately it's about just enjoying the nuances of, of a few ingredients. I mean, we kind of built upon it and made these great, complex, you know, multidimensional, you know, cosmetic cocktails. But then it's like, okay, let's go back and just sort of celebrate something like Calvados because of the tradition, the history, um, perhaps a touch of rusticity, and, um, but really, ultimately, the flavor. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's really versatile in cocktails, but also beautiful just on its own. And I think it's something that, um, you know, we'll be turning a lot of people into. I mean, as far as classics go, they, they're really well represented in classic cocktails. But also, back to the some the more simplistic approach to, to drinks, a Calvados and tonic is unbelievably delicious and refreshing, too. Where do you find a tonic? What tonic are you recommending? Because I, I like tonic, but the challenge is, is that, um, you know, the big companies just kind of uh, bastardize it with... You know, you get the quinine or the chinchona, and then they pack it full of the beautiful high fructose corn syrup. Oh, uh, yes. Oh, uh, yes. I mean, uh, Fever Tree puts out a pretty decent one, but, I mean, what, what most guys are doing with, behind cocktail bars nowadays is they're making their own tonics of sorts. So they're having some sort of quinine syrup and yeah. just using just, you know, a really nice, just clean uh, soda water. And I find that, like, people are really getting much more positive results from that as well. I think that's the way to go because really you're you're making you know what the ingredients are and you can provide just the perfect balance. Right. I mean to trust somebody in, in a scientist in a, in a company making a can of something. <laughs> it's not where I want to go. It's, uh, it's 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 really fun to have. Um, there's a local company too in Pike Place, uh, a gal making some cool stuff. Yeah, Rachel's ginger beer is becoming a, a big deal out here in Seattle. Yeah, that's pretty neat. And of yeah. course we have the dry soda people, which is kind of fun. Um, so Calvados is uh, uh, coming back, uh, making its it's it's re-entry into the world of brown, which is pretty neat. Um, what other distillates out there that are are kind of uh, you know ra ra raising their head and you know I'm in love with Latin American distillates, love them, and so I've been really preaching the gospel of pisco lately as well. Pisco and pisco is uh, it's made from grapes. Yep, and it's a Peruvian brandy, right? Peruvian and Chilean and Chilean. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, any um, brands out there that you might want to uh, drop a, a nod to? Um, I mean, like, I'm, I'm all about the Encanto, Campo de Encanto guys. They're doing some spectacular stuff. How do you spell that? Campo, C-A-M-P-O. Okay, Campo. En Encanto, like love, like Spanish for love. I've seen that one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's got to just, you know, um, it's... They have a really wide range of different types of Pisco using different varietals of grapes, and it's just phenomenal. And they, I think they just recently came out with um, a barrel-aged Pisco, which is really uncommon. Um, in fact, most Piscos aren't barrel-aged at all, and I think they're not even allowed to be. 
Um, but that being said, yeah, it's I mean, a clear spirit. Yeah, and everyone, and it's one of the weird dustless too, where um, most producers are distilling to proof, which is highly uncommon across the board as far as dustlets go. And tell us what that means, distilling to proof. So they're not really watering down their product; they're not diluting it; they're not bringing it back down to forty percent like you see with most spirits. Um, they they hit that sweet spot of what they're looking for, and that's what they distill it to. And it pretty much goes. They they generally rest the distillate um, after distillation, and it goes in a bottle after that. Interesting. I wonder if resting the dis- dis- distillate actually helps bluff some of those really high fusel alcohols, or is that just part of the uh, um, uh, rectification process when they just sort of you know goes through the the uh, rectifier and just they, some of that stuff burns off and some of it drops down? Oh, certainly. I mean, you see, it's very commonplace, especially with like mezcal production as well. A lot of those Latin-based distillates, they all have a lot very similar production methodologies. It's fascinating. I wonder if uh, so. Do you have a pisco? I mean, there's a pisco sour. But uh, you must have something simple and straightforward and yet delicious. And yeah, I mean, everyone's kind of familiar with that. I think that was like the entry-level cocktail for Pisco. Um, it's delicious. It's refreshing. Um, but I, I love spirit-forward cocktails, especially with something like Pisco. It's incredibly aromatic. It's floral. And, I mean, you definitely get that great base distillate taste to it. Um, I mean, it, it bodes well in place of, of gin, all the time. I'm constantly making, you know, kind of spinoffs of classic gin cocktails, and it's working really well. Very cool. Yeah. I love it. Uh, chatting with Dustin Harstead, uh, one of the mixologists and uh, bartenders extraordinaire, barman. We don't want to say bartender. It's almost, well, you know what? It's a noble profession. I'm glad you're here. Uh, over at Canon in Seattle here on Happy Hour Radio. Um, after this break, we'll be uh, coming up with uh, uh, a cocktail made of, of brandy, and uh, Dustin's got some great ingredients here up on our uh, radio deck. I can see them making my mouth water. I'm a little parched already. It's (laughs) it's time for a cocktail. And coming up on the show, we've got um, Penny Richards, the executive director of the Institute of Masters of Wine, as well as a day in the life with Mary Hill Winery. And uh, if you've made your resolutions, there's still time to get out there and get an education about wine. I would start with uh, the February 9th Taste of Walla Walla. Check out wallawallawine.com and uh, also the Seattle Wine and Food Experience in February. So stick around here in Happy Hour Radio. We'll be right back. He's live. He's here. Sean Hannity. Weekdays, noon to 3, only on Talk Radio 570 KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends, and you're listening to Happy Hour Radio. Now back to Seattle sommelier, Christopher Chan. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome back to Happy Hour Radio. Pleased to have Dustin Harstead, bartender extraordinaire, the barman over at Cannon, uh, the world's sixth best bar right here. Unhappy Hour Radio in studio. He's handing me some cocktails, some uh, Calvados, because we're talking about one of the hot new, well, the re-entry, the reintroduction of one of my favorite distillates. It's uh, Calvados, which comes from Normandy, France. It's uh, a French 
apple brandy and uh, made from a variety of apples. Uh, doing some research, apparently um, the name Calvados comes from a Spanish galleon called San Salvador, uh, which actually crashed, uh, shipwrecked off, off the rock uh, in uh, the coast of Normandy, and somehow they took San Salvador, Alvador, Calvados, and there it is. We've got Calvados. So Dustin, tell me about uh, the Calvados that you brought today. So we're talking about Calvados from the Pediage region. It's the largest, uh, most famous, and oldest um, denomination of origin of Calvados. Uh, they boast their largest producers and their smallest producers alike. Um, the oldest distillates in that region come from Pediage. Um, beautiful stuff. They're using most places are using well over twenty different uh, varietals of apples, and they're not the kind of the good eaten apples. And that's why you don't really see. Uh, They're not apple, Washington State apples. No, no. I mean, that's why you don't really see, um, you know, apple brandy production here in Washington State, despite the fact we we have such ease of access to really great apples. You don't want to use good apples. You want the, the bitter sweet apples. I mean, if, if little kids are throwing at each other, those are the apples that you want to use. <laughs> if hornets are swarming around on the ground, maybe not. <laughs> well, you're right. Uh, a, a variety of old uh, uh, indigenous apples, and um, they are bitter, and they are less sweet, uh, and they have a little more acidity, and they're typically a lot smaller in size. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that uh, all those apples add a lot of complexity to that pot still. Uh, it's made in the, um, it's more of the Irish style of the pot still, right? The, uh, um, oh shoot, what's the name of the pot still? Well, it's just a copper pot still, we'll say <laughs> that. Um, and what's the brand of Calvados you have here? So we got a couple today. Uh, we have uh, La Pamiere, and we have uh, Chateau de Brielle. Chateau de Brio, and these are both uh, available locally, or were these imported? Or these are available locally, thanks to Venom. Oh. Thanks, guys. Yeah, uh, we love uh, Mike Demar and Nathan Barker over at Venom, and uh, love Calvados. So, um, when did you start playing with Calvados, and, and how did you sort of gravitate towards the cocktail that you've uh, brought today? Well, basically, I started playing with Calvados a couple years ago. Um, I My introduction to apple brandy in general came from the good old U.S. of A. with uh, Laird's, which uh, was the very first um, uh, legal distillery. Um, those guys have been putting out some really cool stuff, and it kind of segued into, like, hey, the French have been doing it for a lot longer, and it's very different. And um, I just fell in love with it instantly. Um, I started drinking it just neat on its own and just fell in love with like the the bouquet of, of aromatics the, the the floral notes and um, just that bittersweet uh, flavor you get from all those different types of apples and what brought me to the cocktail today was I wanted to do something that was very classic and clean um, it's very simplistic it's uh, two ounces of what's uh, the name of it first you know, I didn't even name it, to be honest with you. Oh. It's just kind of a, a twist. I was kind of hoping you'd help me out there. Okay. You seem like the creative type. Uh, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> but um, it's it's two ounces of Calvados, uh, three-quarter ounce of uh, Carpano Bianco's uh, dry vermouth, a touch of uh, apricot liqueur, and uh, a healthy uh, three dashes of Angostura bitters. Interesting. Well, let's talk about these separate ingredients. So um, we've got Calvados, obviously, apple-aged brandy. Mm -hmm. Excuse me, the apple brandy aged in smoke uh, from Normandy. Now, the Carpano Bianco. I'm very familiar with Carpano, the red vermouth, or uh, what are they calling it a vermouth, or uh, what, what are they calling It's ant Oh, wait. No, I'm thinking of Antica. Yeah, yeah. That's the, the That's sweet different. vermouth. Yeah. This is Same a company? 
Um, it's it's definitely the same company. Okay. Uh, so this this is coming in from the the Torino region, and from Italy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's spectacular. Um, we just got it here in in the market, and so we're just trying to roll it out. That's cool. I haven't seen it before, and I wasn't even familiar that they made a Bianco. I guess I should have uh, realized that. Of course, they basically make red and white vermouth. If they got a uh, vermouth company. Um, what are some of the nuances in this particular carp, uh, Bianco vermouth, the white vermouth? Uh, you know, I mean, it's 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 definitely on the dry side, and but it's still like it's got just a touch of sweetness and um, floral notes that play perfectly with what's already going on on that side of things with uh, the Cabo So it has a touch of sweetness. I like that. I, I think so. It's not really a cooking vermouth because sometimes no. I'll use I throw Noily Pratt in my cooking sure. just because a little splash is nice and dry, adds some complexity and stuff. But um, you also said apricot brandy. What is that? So uh, basically, it's just a it's a fruit liqueur. Um, is it the apple uh, apricot liqueur or apricot brandy? It's liqueur. Okay, sorry, liqueur. And uh, which company is this from? This is from Orchard. Orchard is that local, uh, international? No, it's a product of Austria. Oh, really? Yeah, they make a bunch of different stuff. I mean, ranging from. Uh, you know, like a creme de peche. They make um, which would be peach. Yeah, yeah. They make a really great. Um, uh, the name escapes me. It's like a violet liqueur. Oh, and that's used in a ton of Viola. classic cocktails. Yeah. yeah, wonderful. So that's also from Venom, or is that from another distributor? I believe that's a different distributor. Okay. Yep. So we've got a cocktail here. It's two ounces of Calvados. It's uh, three quarter a three ounce. quarter ounce of Carpano Bianco mm-hmm. and a half ounce of apricot brandy, mm-hmm. and then uh, three three dashes of English Story bitters. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, well, let me take a sip, and you should tell me what I'm supposed to be tasting here. Well, I mean, you're going to get a lot of floral notes uh, by by way of the vermouth and the calvados as well. Um, I mean, you're going to have a little bit of sweetness from the apricot, but really I just wanted to give a little bit of complexity. I mean, we're playing with fruit here at the end of the day, and, you know, everything's better with bitters. Mm. <laughs> uh, that's really amazing. That is a delicious cocktail. I love the, the mouthfeel of it. First of all, it, it has a great weight. Uh, you You get just, I think that apricot... Because the creme de noyau gives you, and I love that flavor, that sort of marzipani. Um, we talk about noyau, that's the uh, seed within the apricot. This the pit, the heart of the apricot seed or peach seed gives you a very almondy flavor. And this apricot has some of that. But maybe that's coming from the Carpano Bianco. Um, floral notes, uh, just light freshness. Mm. The lemon... Uh, Peel here. The twist that you've you've is, is nice, and twist should be a nice big size. This is about a half inch by two and a half inches long. Uh, it gr- great floral notes. Just when you approach the glass, uh, the lemon lifts, gives you some great lift. Um, citrus, of course. Uh, the Calvados is very very subtle, but it's a great fine line throughout the drink, um, reminiscent of a very smooth. Uh, well, it's a brandy, and it's got just enough vanilla on the the base note. I'm taking another sip. There you go, get involved. <laughs> <laughs> happily involved, happily invested, in happy hour radio here. So Dustin Arstead, this is a fantastic cocktail. Um, we have to think of a name. So um, mm, we have to put it out there. So if you've got any ideas out there, all of our fans in Happy Hour Radio Land, send us a tweet at Happy HR Radio. You can help name us this drink, and I'll put it on the website for some suggestions. But I met, uh, you're serving this at Canon? 
I can. Sure can. We have all the ingredients there. Um, <laughs> you come and see me you Monday are. through Wednesday. Okay, Monday through Wednesday over at Cannon. Uh, fantastic. Uh, this is really, really good. I, I think apricot brandy is also underutilized here, apricot liqueur, because it adds just enough sweetness. Uh, delicious. want to thank our friends over at Picardi for helping out support this, uh, especially with the great ice, uh, saving the day. Mmm, <laughs> great stuff. Well, Dustin Arstead, uh, top six bars in the world. Uh, congratulations. Good to see you. Um, thank you so much for joining me on Happy Hour Radio. Thanks for having me, Chris. Hey, coming up on the show, we've got, uh, well, coming up next, I should say, is a very special interview. Um, I was down on location uh, in San Francisco and chatting with the Institute of Masters of Wine. The executive director, Penny Richards, is going to give us a little history about the Institute of Masters of Wine. We were down there. We had a great Bordeaux tasting time. Uh, tasting the 2010 vintage, uh, the Red Bordeaux and some Sauternes. Uh, fantastic opportunity to learn about one of the uh, the oldest and most prestigious organizations in the world when it comes to uh, the world of wine and spirits. Um, next to the Master Sommiers, in fact, it's older than the Master of Sommiers, and um, uh, both based in London or originating in London, where, uh, you know, it seems a little stuffy, but uh, uh, they are wonderful, wonderfully generous uh, academics who care about the world of wine and care about people. We had 50 students down there, uh, candidates, I should say, all plying their, um, well, plying their brains on, on how to uh, advance themselves and help teach others. So the world of uh, the Masters of Wine Institute coming up next. And later on the show, I've got Craig Luthold, the co-owner of Mary Hill Winery, joining us for a day in the life of Mary Hill Winery. And uh, if you want to go back and re relive, enjoy our uh, segments of 2014, check us out. We've got a website. It's happyhourradio.net. We've got all the links to the MP3 files you can enjoy. Uh, well, we actually had Dustin Harstead up on the show a couple months back and enjoyed that. Uh, but we've got all the episodes up there, so do uh, enjoy that and share that with your friends. If you got any tweets, send us a tweet. Tell us what you're drinking this Super Bowl uh, at Happy HR Radio. So stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Chris Gorman from Gorman Winery, and you are listening to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan on 570 KVI. Breaking down the big stories, Len Beck, weekdays 9 to noon on Talk Radio 570 KVI. Now more KVI Want to Know Weekends. Back to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. And welcome to Happy Hour Radio. This is Christopher Chan, your host. And this is part of our In the Vineyard series. And I have the pleasure of being down in Fisherman's Wharf here in San Francisco, attending um, a week-long conference with the Institute of Masters of Wine. And it's my pleasure to speak with Penny Richards, the Executive Director of the Institute. Penny, welcome to Happy Hour. Thank you so much. Delightful to be here. It's... Uh, I'm really fascinated by this Masters of Wine symposium that's been uh, taking place. What's the official title of this conference? This is the U.S. Residential Seminar, and it's held for Master of Wine students, so people who aspire to becoming Masters of Wine. 
have attended this for a week. And so every morning they taste through a flight of 12 wines blind and then they discuss it with Masters of Wine who are here. And then in the afternoon they have theory sessions teaching them across a huge range of theoretical parts of the world of wine, either about viticulture or viniculture or marketing and other things like that, all preparing them to take an exam which might be a stepping stone to get them to join the Institute of Masters of Wine and become a Master of Wine or MW themselves. The MW, much like the Master Sommelier, one of the most prestigious titles, uh, uh, monikers or achievements one can, can find themselves accomplishing in the world of wine. So tell us a little bit of the history of the Institute of Masters of Wine. Sure, the Institute was set up in 1953 in the City of London. And I gather it was done so to make sure that people who worked in the wine trade in London and the UK really showed a deep understanding of wine rather than were some cavalier fly-by-night merchants. And it's built very slowly from that. And if you talk to the Masters of Wine who took the exam that year, they talk about doing it in a library with a glass of Bordeaux, I know, sort of 1948 in their hands as they wrote it, um, and perhaps a bit of sherry beforehand to sort of calm their nerves. And it's grown from there. So it went from, I think, the first year there were three people who were deemed to show excellence in their knowledge of wine. And it's been growing slowly and steadily uh, from that day to this. We now have only 318 masters of wine. They now come from not just London, but 24 different countries. And at the same time, we always have about the same number of students. So at the moment, we have about 320, 330 students from actually 36 different countries. So it's gone from probably a rather parochial and quaint English institution to being an extraordinary international wine organisation. Is everything headquartered in London or in England? We have a member of staff who's based in Napa and we have a member of staff who's based in Adelaide in Australia. Um, but yes, but the most fascinating thing I think about the Institute is that we have a small professional team that runs the admin side, but actually most of it is run by Masters of Wine themselves. They are an extraordinarily engaged volunteer workforce, deeply passionate not just about wine but about their Institute, and deeply passionate about bringing other people to the Institute, to creating more and more Masters of Wine all of who share their values of excellence and interaction in the wine world. Well, if the Masters of Wine is anything like the two people we have the pleasure of knowing in Washington State, Joel Butler, and of course the Venerable Bob Betts, who is one of our godfathers of Washington wine, um, it's really fantastic because they are truly uh, uh, great um, ambassadors for the world of wine. I haven't met one master of wine who doesn't carry the same values and the same empathy and the same warmth of Joel and Bob. They are an extraordinary team of people. In fact, I've just been talking to our group of students here. They tend to get incredibly obsessed by passing this excruciatingly complicated exam. And what I was just saying to them is, yes, of course they must be absorbed by passing the exam, but what I wanted them to, to keep their focus on is when they pass, they will be a member of this extraordinary community with engaged wine professionals who are anything from wine growers like Bob Betts to educators to journalists to salespeople, to tradespeople. It's, it is an extraordinary world. And I truly appreciate the idea of obsession because uh, following the Master Sommelier path, uh, it's an excruciating uh, lifestyle of study, work, study, study, sleep, uh, and spitting and reading and um, just witnessing this uh, short um, 
insight to the Master of Wine preparation course. I'm very impressed, and uh, we have 50 students here today from all around the world. Yeah, we. it is compulsory for our students, if they'd like to sit an exam in a particular year, to attend one of these residential seminars. Um, already this year, we've had them in Wellington in New Zealand, in southern Austria and in the UK, and we have the last one in a few weeks' time in Bordeaux. And yes, more than 200 students will have attended those seminars this year, and probably about 100 or so of those will choose to sit the exam this summer. I'm speaking with Penny Richards, the executive director of the Institute of Masters of Wine, uh, perhaps the pre- most prestigious organization as a professional wine person could achieve and attain. And uh, we're here in San Francisco uh, for the, what is the title of this week again, a residential seminar? It's the, U- well, the North America Residential Seminar for the Institute. And we have 50 students here, and it looks like uh, almost a dozen or so Masters of Wine. Yeah, actually, 27 Masters of Wine volunteered their time to be here this week, which I think shows you the level of dedication and passion. And in each seminar, we'll have relatively similar numbers of Masters of Wine who've given up a week of their life to try and inculcate that enthusiasm and depth of passion in others. Well, for the for being a wine guy and a sommelier, this is kind of like being backstage at a rock concert and you're seeing <laughs> these rock stars, uh, the Masters of Wine. So tell us what else uh, the Institute of Masters of Wine does uh, in, in terms of education and events. Um, we also, all the students you've met here have the opportunity to come to different course days which take place in... Well, in the U.S., they take place in in New York and California. We also, every four years, have what we call a symposium. Um, This year in May, it was in, sorry, in 2014, it was in Florence. Um, I call it the Olympics of the wine world because it happens every four years. And it really is a gathering of the most excellent. So more than 100 Masters of Wine came from all over the world this year. And they were joined by, you know, an extraordinary way of, people who share their passion of wine and every night we had tastings in various Tuscan villas and extraordinary palazzos on the on the banks of of the river in Florence and that happens every three years and sorry every four years it was in Napa in um, about eight years ago and actually we're trying at the moment to work out where we're going to host the next one in 2018 so well we've got some great hotels in Seattle and of course the great (laughs) wine industry as well so um what does it take to sort of start this path as a uh, a delegate for a, or a candidate for a master of wine degree? We it's not incredibly easy to even become a student. Um, our standards are exacting to even gain admission to the program. So we expect people to have worked for at least three years in the wine trade, and we're very loose on on how we define that, but we still define it. Uh, they have to have a wine qualification already, so something like WSET or a uh, a degree from UC Davis or, or, or something like that. And they also had to pass a quite stringent test. So they have to prove their knowledge and they have to do a dry tasting and send us tasting notes. And they have to have a Master of Wine vouch for them to make sure that, you know, we are bringing the best and the brightest into the Institute. Uh, something of a mentor. When they join the program, when they are allowed to join the program, and this year we accepted fewer than two thirds of the people who applied they are actually allocated master wine who will metaphorically and sometimes physically hold their hand through the program. And how long would this process take? Uh, is it a, a two-year process or 10-year process? Or I, I can imagine it's truly a lifetime journey. But um, what would be the average for a candidate to, uh, to uh, matriculate? We are notorious for having a low pass rate. 
And so a lot of people don't ever finish the journey. Um, but, and it's also very hard to say it's three years. It takes some people three years, which is the shortest time possible. And it takes other people much longer. I can imagine it's like, uh, well, there's a new vintage and a new region and the marketing is ever changing in the world of wine, uh, especially with social media. And uh, there were some great topics here, especially about how points affect uh, wine sales and uh, are sommeliers influenced by uh, some brands and things like that. Well, this has been quite a fascinating uh, inside, behind the scenes look at the Masters of Wine Institute here in San Francisco, the residential note. Uh, What can you help us uh, conclude this conversation with about the Masters of Wine, Penny? (laughs) I would like to conclude it by saying, why don't you think about it yourself? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've never been uh, shy of a challenge, and uh, I do have the pleasure of of having a great relationship with both Bob Betts and Joel Butler, and it's on my horizon, uh, and uh, if I can uh, work towards the Masters Sommelier, I'm I'm sure I can um, put a pen to paper and put my theory to work and consider the Institute of Masters of Wine. Penny Richards, Executive Director of the Institute of Masters of Wine, thank you so much for joining me on Happy Hour Radio. It's absolutely been my pleasure, and I look forward to your application. Well, cheers to Penny Richards of the Institute of Masters of Wine down in San Francisco. Had a great chat, and speaking of great chats, coming up up next is Craig Luthold with the day in the life of Mary Hill Winery. Breaking down the big stories. Glenn Beck, weekdays 9 to noon on Talk Radio 570 KVI. Now more KVI Want to Know Weekends. Back to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chen. Hey, and welcome back. It's time for our reality radio segment. This is the real deal, folks. I've got the pleasure of uh, welcoming back and saying Happy New Year to uh, my friend, Craig Luthold, co-owner, founder of Mary Hill Winery, down in Mary Hill Winery, Washington. Craig Luthold, welcome back to Happy Hour. Thanks, Christopher. It's great to be back. Yeah, so I trust you've had a little bit of time off since the crazy crush, the harvest. Uh, Tell me what's happening now, right now in Mary Hill. You know, this is actually one of those times a year where we're kind of betwixt and between uh, uh, um, different tasks. Harvest is over. All of the wines have uh, been barreled down. Um, we are waiting to um, rack them off and and uh, clean the barrels. That'll be another few months. And we're also getting ready to uh, prepare ourselves for the bottling of our white wines, which will be the next major task. And that'll actually start probably uh, late February or early March. Interesting. So it's nice and quiet down there. The, the barrels are resting. The wines are resting. How many barrels do you actually have resting in your uh, barrel room right now? Well, right now we have all of the 2013 reds and all the 2014 plus our uh, two whites that we do that, uh, that see oak. Uh, so total amount is about 3,200 barrels. 3,200 barrels. So it sounds like you uh, went to eBay and bought an old Boeing hanger and said, <laughs> ship that down there to Mary Hill. That's cool. So you've got red and whites in barrel and uh, the bottling schedule. So looking ahead, um, how many wines might you be planning to bottle? I mean, do you have to taste them first or do you actually know right now that you've got a schedule to go? 
Well, you know, a lot of it has to do with uh, both heat stabilization, cold stabilization. Cold stabilization actually happens where we uh, we lower the temperature of, of the wine down below freezing, and we add a tar- a cream of tartar to the um, to the wine. And what that does is it precipitates a lot of the tartaric acid out of the wine. And the reason you want to cold stabilize a wine is that if you happen to get a wine exposed to too cold a temperature, that tartaric acid will actually crystallize out of the wine. If somebody has ever opened a bottle of white wine and they see crystals on the bottom of the wine or on the cork, that probably means it's been exposed to excessively cold temperatures. Um, if you freeze a bottle of wine, it will almost automatically create these crystals and they will precipitate out of the wine. So what we're doing, we cold stabilize and then we heat stabilize the wine for the opposite reason. So if it happens to get exposed to a little bit of, of warmth, let's just say over 75 or 80 because it's in a truck or in the trunk you know, of your car, <laughs> in, in the trunk of the car, if it's leaving the winery, exactly. So the heat stabilization, actually, we use bentonite, and uh, it's just a natural clay product. Uh, We add it to the wine, and we do tests on the wine, and we determine exactly what the how the heat stabilization process works and that uh, is a relationship between the proteins in the wines and some of the other chemical compounds that are uh, naturally found in wine so what we have to do is we do these two processes we run multiple different tests in the labs we determine once that it's cold stable and once it's heat stable then we're ready to run it through the cross-flow filtration to do a final filtration on the, on the wine. It goes back in a tank, and then we'll bottle it um, after that's done. So there's quite a bit of steps that need to happen between now and the time we'll bottle, and those are the tasks that uh, the crew will be working on. Wow, that is actually a big list. So you get a little bit of a break now in January, but looking ahead, you've got uh, some good processing going on. And I'm sure that our listeners aren't familiar with this, but obviously this is a uh, a luxury product being wine, and uh, you're making sure that it, it's good uh, the next day or from a year or two years from now. Very cool. So tartaric acid is naturally found as part of the winemaking process, so we want those wine diamonds to uh, you know not deter someone's enjoyment or to think that it's glass. I mean, that's what everyone thinks sometimes. Sometimes like, oh my God, I got yeah. glass in here, and then of course uh, heat stabilization helps for when those warm uh, summer days. Um, very cool. Well, you've got a great list of things to do. It's great to catch up with you, Craig, and uh, we look forward you to, to uh, chatting with you in February and uh, getting a handle on what wines you've got going into bottles. So thanks for joining me, Craig. Sounds fantastic. Appreciate it. T- take care, Christopher. All right, check to you again. Go Hawks. Okay. Go Hawks. Well, uh, that's uh, Craig Luthold, co-owner and founder of Mary Hill Winery in our uh, reality radio segment, A Day in the Life of Mary Hill Winery. Well, it's great to be back in studio here on Happy Hour Radio, and I hope you'll join me uh, this next week um, for our uh, our Saturday at 11 a.m. show. And as we gear up, we're moving. We're moving to happy hour. We're going to 6 p.m. starting the uh, week after the Super Bowl. We're going to be on 6 p.m. on Saturdays right here on 570 KVI. 
uh, something so you can get in the cocktail mood. So we want you to be able to be sip, sipping with us on these shows and having a good time. And uh, if you want to go out and learn some stuff, don't forget the Seattle Wine and Food Experience is February. Uh, check it out at swfe.com. And uh, the Taste of Walla Walla is coming up February 9th. So glad you're back. Uh, welcome to uh, to the show, to the 2015 series, the season. I'm pleased to be here. Uh, next week, it's Jamie Piha, And don't forget, life's always better with a designated driver. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs>